Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Jonah Cheninga of Calgary-based Wovio. Jonah is co-founder and CEO of Wovio, a venture-backed fintech company that's revolutionizing community savings and credit systems through its cutting-edge community wallet. Accredited by the World Bank for his expertise in alternative financing, Jonah has spearheaded Wovio to notable achievements, including winning the prestigious Calgary Fintech Award. Jonah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. I'm super excited to be chatting with you. Delighted to, to have you here. We, we need innovation in, uh, in our financial system badly, so I'm, I'm excited to talk with you about this. But just to get started, our entrepreneurs are a restless and busy lot. So can you give me uh, sort of a top piece of advice that you hope fellow entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation here? Yeah, um, my, my biggest advice will actually be my experience. Um, I think entrepreneurship, um, really, especially if you're mission-oriented, it's about enjoying the process, uh, not, the, not the destination, enjoying the journey, embedding yourself in that journey, because it's a, it's a long journey, so you need to be patient. Uh, there are a lot of hurdles that you deal with. Um, so really being uh, invested in the, in the journey of what you're building and what you're going through, I think will make it uh, much more manageable. And, and can I ask, what, what, what do you mean by enjoying, enjoying the journey? Um, I mean, you know, sometimes it's just a slog. How do you enjoy that? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so really, for me, enjoying the journey is um, really kind of like the day-to-day um, of uh, the work that you do. And then for me, the best put is understanding your why. Uh, why are you doing the work that you're doing? Um, sometimes for some people, it might be just to generate uh, revenue, make a profit. Uh, for some people, it's mission-oriented. But really knowing like what's your why, why do you do the work that you do, really gets you going and then keeps you going, especially in entrepreneurship, whereby nine out of 10 times you're dealing with um, challenges and overcoming those challenges is a day-to-day ongoing basis that you need to be patient with and then kind of like uh, understand that it's a process um, and then it's part of the journey. Right, understanding the why. I love it, I love it. That's what keeps us going. Um, I want to know a little bit more about you before we get into Wovio. So can you tell me about growing up in Zimbabwe and your experience immigrating to Canada? Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was born in, uh, in a small village in Zambia called Mbala uh, in 1994. Uh, so my dad was Zimbabwe and my mom was uh, Zambian. Uh, and we all moved to, to Zimbabwe. Uh, growing up, we had a family of uh, 11 kids. So it was a big family uh, mm. with things uh, it was a small community <laughs> and uh it was a, a very interesting time uh, my parents were both entrepreneurs um so i grew up in that entrepreneurial family and i think that inspired the journey that i'm on today um can i ask you so, what your parents did yeah uh, yeah so my father owned uh, an agriculture uh business um so he was uh into farming uh as well as manufacturing uh, that was kind of like uh, his main gig. Uh, uh-huh. And then my mom was more into the hospitality business. Cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. But uh, fast forward to 2008, um, growing up in Zimbabwe was uh, kind of like an interesting experience. Um, one of the things that we're known for is uh, the second highest uh, ever recorded hyperinflation. Uh, that happened in 2008, whereby we ended up having a $100 trillion note, uh, which I think is one of the largest currencies, if not the largest. And what would $100 trillion buy you? Um, today, it will buy you bread. Uh, the next day, it will buy you nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, like uh, it, was a, it was a very tough time to be able to go through that experience because our daily inflation rate prices were doubling each day. Um, so people's savings were eroded. Um, and then that was just kind of like my first experience with financial insecurity. Um, I still remember my parents, uh, they had successful businesses doing really well and overnight losing everything just because of like the macro environment and the hyperinflation that we're experiencing. Um, so experiencing that firsthand as a, as a young boy at that time uh, was really tough, uh, but then also insightful just in terms of my experiences and what inspired the journey that I'm on today and the work that I'm doing towards helping people achieve financial security. Very, very cool. Um, Wovio is for new immigrants to Canada. Before we get into how it works, can you describe some of the challenges that new immigrants to Canada face? Yeah. Um, so for newcomers to Canada, uh, it's also a journey that I went through uh, immigrating to Canada in 2014, where I came to do my studies in uh, our smallest province, uh, but beautiful Prince Edward Island. Um, and being a newcomer to Canada, you're new to credit. Um, so your credit history or your financial history that you have at the country that you're coming from is not transferred to Canada. So you're coming here and starting from scratch. And uh, now is that true for any for for any country for people coming from any yeah, country every country um for people coming from every country even like some people coming from the states because the data is not transferable between two different nations and i think it's even worse for people coming from uh, developing nations whereby the credit system is completely different from the one that we have in uh, in canada okay so somehow my credit card uh, my credit card transactions anywhere in the world will always come home and find me but my credit history can't come yeah, with Yeah, your me. credit history can come with you. You can come with your debit card from uh, another country. You can come with a credit card from another country, but then that history um, is, is not coming with you. Um, and then that makes settlement really, really difficult. Uh, and then immigrants, they end up being exposed to predatory lending products. Um, in Canada, it takes three to five years uh, to be able to build a solid credit profile uh, that can enable you to access not only just lending services, but really all the other services that you need from housing to employment um, and then other basic necessities that you need to be able to survive. And what that does, it increases your cost of living uh, way beyond um, what you can be able to afford. Um, so most newcomers coming to Canada Another problem that they deal with is, uh, especially for international students and then temporary workers coming to Canada, because your status in Canada is temporary, you're not on a permanent resident or citizenship status yet, that makes it, it adds another layer of risk um, to your credit uh, profile, which makes it extremely difficult to be able to access those services. So those are some of the problems that newcomers go through. And whenever mm -hmm. they need 
So how would a newcomer like you be able to uh, arrange to rent an apartment, for instance? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's extremely difficult. I think uh, for some people, when you're coming in as an international student, uh, your only option might be limited to just um, on-campus residence, uh, which is very limited in supply. Uh, for some people, you have to look for someone who can co-sign your lease agreement. Um, so really, it's just kind of like going outside the mainstream um, services to be able to look for an alternative to be able to bridge those gaps. Right. And uh, you can take this question any way you want. Um, the Canadian banks, have they been uh, aware of this problem? Have they been doing anything, working on any projects to try and solve this, resolve this problem? Um, not to the extent that I think would help uh, would have helped newcomers to be able to settle uh, in Canada and build better lives. I don't think they have done much. So when you're coming to Canada, the only product that you can get is a, is a debit card and a credit card. And that credit card, the limit is $1,500. So you're limited to that um, um, financing. So now when you're dealing with things such as financial emergencies, which happen to everyone, um, it's not just a excluded to Canadians, it also happens to newcomers, your only options now end up being either you're using a credit card cash advance where you'll be charged 25%, or sometimes you have to use a payday lender where they're charging you 300% in interest fees. Wow. Okay, so tell us what Wovio does and how it's helping to solve some of these problems. Yeah, so uh, at Wovio, we created a, a community wallet um, and really, it was inspired by a system that is popular in uh, many developing nations, uh, which is a system of community banking. And in Canada, we also do have uh, credit unions. But then it's in essence, it's a system whereby socially connected individuals can be able to leverage their own capital uh, as a way to be able to access credit. Um, so at Wovia, what we have done is we have created a community wallet for group rotating savings, um, credit building, and short-term credit access uh, for this demographic that is underserved uh, by the by the mainstream banking ecosystem. And then how we are able to help them is by providing them financial security to be able to meet their financial goals. So the first one is actually the ability to be able to build credit without incurring any interest fees. Uh, that's a big one. The second one is actually providing them short-term credit access that they couldn't get other uh, it, from any other solution that currently exists in the market. So, hey, I have an emergency. I need... Uh, $500, we're able to provide them that leveraging the data that they have on the platform um, to be able to help them bridge those gaps. And then all those credit come to them interest-free because they're leveraging kind of like that community saving. Um, so that's kind of like how we have reimagined that whole process. Really kind of like looking at banking from first principles, whereby like it's a collective pooled capital and then people are able to leverage that and we help them manage and uh, mitigate that credit risk. So is Wovio a bank or any other type of financial institution in the conventional sense or is it just facilitating groups and capital owned by others? Yeah, no, we are a facilitator. Um, so we do partner with banks and payment service providers uh, as well as credit bureaus to be able to provide the services. But then really we're kind of creating that ecosystem of all the financial partners that are needed to be able to help. Uh, we usually call them credit underserved individuals build better financial lives. So from credit bureaus to payment service providers to banks to be able to enhance um, that service to them. So I come to Canada from any country and uh, I bring $1,000 with me and uh, that's not going to last very long. But, uh, you know, I want to be able to access all the benefits of the, of the credit card system and the credit system in Canada. 
how do th- th- tell me how Wovio helps me and and uh, and and whether that thousand dollars helps me um, through Wovio help others. Yeah. Um, so for us, how we help them is kind of like um, through the community driven approach. Um, so really kind of like how we acquire customers or how our customers get to us is through like this community or cooperatives, uh, even corporations in a sense. Um, so really our product uh, is based on groups and communities, not as individuals. Um, so that can include us partnering with uh, the Indian Community Association, the Nigerian Community Association, whereby it's a community of like-minded individuals. Typically, they end up being like uh, communities of uh, country of origin, um, communities based on uh, location, communities based on religion. So these are different communities. And the best example I always like to use is ju- just think of it of, as a credit union, the same way that in Calgary, we do have like credit unions that service locally based communities uh, to be able to leverage their own capital for their own economic development is the same fundamentals that we're using for these communities. But then by us being virtual and digital, we are enabling any community, whether it's uh, decentralized, whether it's distributed, whether in different provinces, you can be able to create that on the platform and start leveraging your community's capital in a safe manner and then actually start accessing affordable credit. Right. And but I don't still don't quite understand how I managed to... Um, Build my build build my credit rating through the community wallet, as well as um, sort of lend out money as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can give an example just to illustrate um, to sh- kind of like explain the whole process. So traditionally, the it's called a, a rotating savings mechanism, and then how that rotating savings mechanism works is like let's say a group of ten individuals come together and then they decide to contribute a fixed amount. Um, so the 10 of us will say every month we contribute um, $100 or in the example that you showcase $1,000. Each person every month contributes $1,000. And then in this pool of capital, we have $10,000 if it's 10 of us. And then now we create a schedule whereby like each month or each period, one person gets access to that lump sum from the group and then pays it back over time. So we're kind of like creating these mini banks uh, between us and then leveraging that uh, whole process to be able to access um, credit from those groups. And then what we do on the back end is as you are repaying back these loans and then you're demonstrating the, the responsibility and the ability to pay on time, we take that financial behavior and report it to the credit bureaus to enable you to build credit uh, by leveraging those transaction history that's showcasing the behavior that you're good and responsible with debt. Very cool. Does the credit bureau take notice of this? Does the the activities that your clients are participating in, does that actually count towards the credit bureau scorecard? Yes. Um, so that counts uh, on your payment history, which makes up about 35% of your credit score. Um, so really how it's structured is just structured as an installment loan, uh, whereby Jonah gets access to um, $10,000 from this group, and then he pays it back over a 10 months period um, to these group members. So it's just kind of like structured as an installment loan. And as you're paying it back all, all, over time, we have kind of like the, the record keeping and the ledger that we take that uh, information and transfer it to the credit bureaus. Right. So micro lending has been a big thing for the last 10 or 20 years. And in, in you know, small communities in developing uh, regions where Again, the, the banking system is pretty fragile and small. Mm-hmm. Um, they let you know they, they lend each other small amounts 
you know, my favorite example was in order for someone to buy a bicycle so that they could travel back and forth every day to work or, or collect supplies or whatever. Um, those lending circles, uh, micro lending, um, they have an incredible um, rate of, um, I forget the word, what's the opposite of defaulting, of compliance. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know, like like they have virtually no slippage, virtually everybody pays every month. This is the, do you get the same sort of uh, success factor in your community wallet communities? Exactly, yeah. For for us, I actually consider that to be our secret sauce uh, because usually these things were happening informally. Um, so right now on our platform, we have a 100% repayment rate uh, and default is uh, non-existent. And then one thing that you see as a factor um, that helps really is kind of like the social collateral and the group accountability that actually enhances these individuals' financial behaviors, which ends up being better credit scores over time. Um, so that's one thing that we always try to leverage because there's an element of like actually being responsible with debt, uh, but then also at the same time reducing the cost of borrowing, which otherwise they would be charged a higher interest rate. Right, right. And uh, how long does it, uh, you know, you're fairly new. How long have you been in the marketplace? Yeah, so we've been in the marketplace since 2021. Um, so we've been around two going to three years now. Right. And what do you, you don't have a lot of experience with the full customer journey yet, I presume. So how long do you think the average person will be a, a, a participant in the Wovio ecosystem? Is, is it designed to sort of graduate them to the, the, the big financial system? Or do you hope to be able to provide services and create value for them uh, on an ongoing basis? Yeah, so our first assumption was actually we would be able to graduate these individuals into the mainstream banking ecosystem. So once they establish credit profiles, they can be able to go into other financial services that we don't currently provide. Uh, but then one thing that our data is showing us is actually the financial behaviors that are attached to the systems. They actually create a longer lifetime value for, for, for customers in general mainly because of the use cases. Um, so usually when people start engaging in these lending circles, it usually starts with um, access to short-term credit, right? If I have an emergency, I have a buffer that I can be able to access to, and then it also gives me the purchase power that I wouldn't otherwise have if I did it by myself. So those are mainly like the two motives that people um, start with. And then once they graduate from that short-term credit, it goes into actually starting a business. Uh, one of the bigger problem, which doesn't only affect newcomers in Canada, uh, is actually accessing business capital because our bank banking ecosystem is very risk averse um, to extending credit to small business owners. So come on, if you have collateral worth five hundred thousand dollars, they'll lend you a hundred grand. Yeah, <laughs> but how many people have <laughs> that collateral to be able to do that? Uh, so yeah, no, that's kind of like one thing that we see, like whereby most of our users are coming from low income communities, and then they don't have that benefit of like um, having you know, family wealth that has been established in Canada. So now they go into the second use case of like leveraging these pools of capital to be able to start their business, whether it's a, it's a restaurant, whether it's a clothing store, or whether it's a, it's a service business, they get access to that capital from that. 
And then the third layer that we actually see is kind of like they're actually leveraging this model to be able to actually start building wealth. Um, so people leverage this group savings to be able to get access to a down payment for a home. So you hear a lot of stories like, hey, I was able to buy this house because in Canada, it takes you about, you know, right now, 10 to 17 years to be able to save for that forty to $50,000 down payment for a home, whereby by leveraging this group, you can be able to access the, the this pool of capital from your community to be able to buy your home much faster than what you do by yourself. So it's kind of like people creating this support ecosystems to be able to uh, increase and improve the circulation of capital within their small communities to be able to achieve those financial goals. So right now, our estimated lifetime value for our customers that we're starting to see is it actually can get to six years. How can you help me gain financial security from a short-term credit access and emergencies? And then the second one, how can you help me uh, start a small business or if I'm a gig worker, buy my car, buy my whatever I need to be able to get started if I'm self-employed? And then the last part is actually how can you help me um, get access to that down payment for a home. Right, right. And how does um, Wovio make money in all of this? Because I want you to make money so you can keep doing what you're doing and creating value for your clients. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's, that's that's the most important part uh, to, to the business model. Um, so for us, we have a, a freemium business model whereby people can create this group savings uh, for free on the platform. But then what we, what we monetize is our financial security benefits. Um, so what does that mean? Um, so for $10 per month uh, per user, they can be able to access the credit building feature, um, short-term credit access, which are mainly like cash advances. And then how that works is if you're participating in a group and then you're, you're expecting a payout probably like three months down the line, but then you get an emergency now, you can be able to access between $100 in short-term credit access that is, that is interest-free to be able to mitigate those um, financial obligations that you have. And then the last piece is, which is most important in this group, is kind of like that default protection. In case that, you know, life happens, you're not able to make that contribution, both of you can be able to cover for you and then you pay us back over time. So that's kind of like what we monetize those three components. And then we call those like our financial security component that are layered on top of that. Very cool. And can you give us any idea of uh, your impact, uh, you, you know, your customer acquisition, like about how many people are involved in your communities? How many communities do you have and how many of them <laughs> have gone beyond the freemium stage? Because that's the, the, the big question. Yeah. Um, so right now we are working with uh, 23 communities and these 23 communities have about um, 18,500 members. Um, and then in terms of like active participation, um, we are seeing like right now 2,500 of those um, actively engaged. Uh, and then actually right now we are on track to be able to close the year with uh, $500,000 in uh, annual revenue. And then like how we are approaching kind of like our monetization is really like the premium model that we have. But then we also get contracts from muni muni uh, municipalities to be able to service um, those regions. So like if you're looking at whether like it's regions such as Scarborough or rural Canada, whereby banking services are really limited and then newcomers are working there, you can be able to penetrate um, those segments. Um, and then in terms of impact, we have facilitated over $2 million in transaction volume between these groups. So typically what we're seeing right now is each group is around $1,000. With 10 people, whereby they're doing $100 every month. So it's kind of like a group revolving credit of $1,000 uh, that they're using, mainly for short-term credit access. And then we have a 100% repayment rate. And uh, what we're now measuring just in terms of credit score impact, um, over a 12-month period, we expect our users to be able to improve their credit scores, especially if they were subprime by 168 points over a 12-month period because of like 
mainly one, the transaction frequency, and then the higher repayment rates that exist within these groups. Wow, that, 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 that's amazing. Thank you for doing that. Congratulations on doing that. Um, are there, do you have competitors in terms of other organizations that are actually working hard to help people boost their credit scores? Yeah, so we do have competitors in the market. Um, I think two notable ones from uh, a fintech perspective will be Coho and uh, Borrowell, which uh, offer like you know secured lines of credit or secured loans to be able to help you establish a credit profile. Uh, and then for us, how we differentiate ourselves is really kind of like helping people get access to the credit that they actually need. So we're not just kind of like a data furniture where we're just helping you build a credit score. It's really understanding that, hey, the reason why you need a credit score is to be able to mitigate those financial obligations and fulfill those financial obligations that you have by actually accessing the money that you actually need. And I think the most, in com- the most important component about our model is really how it reshapes the financial behaviors of consumers who are, will be sometimes considered to be non-prime or subprime who are really exposed to these high interest fees. Like uh, for this demographic that we're servicing, the average interest fee that they pay on a loan is between 25 to 47%, right? So now in Canada, whereby we're having an affordability crisis, paying that interest fees on a credit product only adds up um, to, to, to that affordability crisis that you're already experiencing. And then it's taking a lot of money out of low-income communities, whereby they're even struggling to make ends meet. So it's kind of like, how do we reverse this whole process whereby the people who are earning less have to pay the most for credit services by really reimagining how we calculate credit risk and reimagining how we actually allocate capital to these communities and these individuals. I really love the, the way you, you think and, and what you're doing. Um, one of the great ironies of capitalism, which is a system that's supposed to serve everybody, um, is that, you know, the people who get the very lowest interest rates are always <laughs> the people with the most money. And and that's... Exactly. Uh, there's an irony to that, that uh, doesn't have to be inevitable. So I love to see... Uh, innovative new solutions like this come along that try and rebalance things a little bit. Um, I got to say the communities are, are a little bigger than I thought. You said 23 communities with 1,800 people. So they're like eight or, eight or 900 people on average. So that's, uh, that's a lot of impact. Yeah, no, I think that's also one thing that just helps us from, uh, because the reason why I think one, one segment is always like, how do you approach uh, to providing affordable financial services to low-income earners. You know, it's always kind of like that, um, that experiment that a lot of people have tried. Um, for us, that helps us from lowering our customer acquisition cost because we're not servicing individuals. We're servicing kind of like communities and then acquiring the individuals within the communities. That kind of like creates the virality uh, and then the net- leveraging the network effects that exist within these communities. So one thing that you see is they come in, um, in Canada, they establish cooperatives, uh, whether it's kind of like uh, immigrants who are starting like restaurant businesses, create a cooperative to be able to leverage their own capital as they look to be able to start a business. Um, like, hey, one person probably we need to buy, if we have restaurants that are Asian-based, we need to be able to buy our products and produce from Asia. We can be able to leverage the collective to be able to do that. If we are also trying to be able to do X, Y, and Z, it's just kind of like people leveraging economies of scale by becoming a collective to be able to achieve that? And then how do you provide them the technology infrastructure and then the financial security that they need to be able to mitigate um, and then fulfill their goals? Amazing. Um, Geographically, do you cover all of Canada or is it just Alberta? Or you mentioned Scarborough. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, right now, actually, like uh, our distribution is um, 70% is Ontario uh, and then about um, 20% is Atlantic Canada because we're, when we started, we're in PI before moving to Calgary uh, and then about 10% is now better. So that's kind of like the distribution of our user base with majority being in Ontario just based on like the uh, higher number of newcomers and uh, credit and visible individuals there. And if I as an individual wanted to get involved with this ecosystem, can I sort of sign up with any one of those communities? <laughs> Will they take me in? Yeah, no. So we do have, um, so like we service communities, but then if an individual come, we do have like a Wovio community whereby we actually enable people to be able to build those relationships and then create kind of like groups between friends and family. Um, so it's just kind of like how we call it the Wovio public community where we are actually helping people foster those um, relationships. Sometimes it's actually us as a company participating in these groups just to be able to because i know there's an educational component it's where someone has not done it before or someone is looking to establish those relationships before how can we make that onboarding journey much easier and more seamless to be able to understand kind of like how transformative this model can be um to your financial wellness right so so we're used to thinking of our personal finances as a personal thing that it's just me you know my neighbor and i we don't uh we may borrow a cup of sugar from each other, but we don't lend each other money. Um, you've refra- Wovio has reframed funding and lending as something people work on together. Um, that's a new concept for Canada, I think. I mean, I, you mentioned credit unions, but they've always been a fairly small part of the landscape outside of Quebec anyway. Um, can you talk a little bit more about this reframe and, and how it's working? Yeah, no. Uh, so I'd approach that question from um, two places. Um, one is just mainly like us as founders just being inspired by this idea. Uh, when you're coming from like a, a, a developing nation and really kind of like when you're low income, right, it's not new to us. So you understand that relationship is a form of currency. Like that is the the main source of support, whether it's financially, emotionally, or um, anything else, the, the power of community is really kind of like what enables you to be able to make your ends meet. Um, so really, uh, I'm going to interrupt you there for a sec. Relationship is a, a, a relationship is, a, is 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 a form of community. Yeah, relationship is a form of community and currency that you're able to let. A form of currency. That's what that's what you said, right? Yeah. I say, just say that again. I love it. <laughs> yeah. No. So for us, from where we come from, we really like relationship is a form of currency. Um, just based on like we have limited resources, and then we also want to be able to mitigate the risk that exists um, within within our networks and within the communities that we live in. And if you look at things from first principles, whether it's uh, banking, insurance, it's built on these principles of leveraging the collective um, assets or the collective resources of whether it's a community, a country, or uh, a group to be able to actually mitigate and then re- uh, reallocate resources to be able to mitigate risk that are involved within whether it's financial or whether it's uh, or whether it's uh, resource-based. And then one thing that you see is that I still remember when I was having the first conversation when we started the business with uh, the superintendent uh, back in PEI, where he was giving me the story of how the credit union, the first credit union in Atlantic Canada was started, right? The first credit union in Atlantic Canada, it was started by a group of fishermen and farmers who couldn't get access to credit from the traditional banks. Uh, they were underserviced just based on the model and how their business operated. And then they created a credit union to be able to leverage their own assets because they had the money. It was just kind of like that money 
put together would be more powerful than what the banks was uh, giving them as a as a as, as an excuse or as a service. It's the same thing with uh, Desjardins in, uh, in in Quebec of like how the French community came together because they didn't have access to credit and then they created that. So I think there's a part of our history as Canada whereby like we leveraged the community-based banking model to be able to mitigate um, the cost or the limited access to financial services that people experiment, uh, experienced um, to be able to actually leverage this community to be able to build uh, to be able to build financial resiliency. But then the second part is really like if you look at how people will actually establish wealth, um, they leverage the group model. Um, so even if you look at like how the venture capital uh, ecosystem works, it's a group of like-minded individuals who leverage their own capital to coming together to be able to invest. So I think the concept and then the principle is still the same, just in terms of how you're able to approach um, financial resiliency and wealth accumulation by leveraging kind of like the collective effort. It's just that how can we do that for low-income newcomers coming to Canada, but then also low-income Canadians who have never been exposed to this. Just understand that, hey, bank banking at the end of the day is in principle, is collective savings leverage together to be able to increase access um, to credits. And uh, one last point that I'll just bring into that is uh, for, for me, when I was starting this company, I just had one question out of curiosity is, why do I come to Canada as a newcomer? Within the first three to five years, I can't borrow from the money from a bank, but I save with that bank, right? Why save with a bank that you can't borrow from? It doesn't <laughs> like, so for us, it was just kind of like, that's why people end up using this uh, alternative systems because you're just contributing to a credit facility that's going to be offered to someone else. And then when you try to tap into that credit facility, because not because you're a bad uh, borrower or you default on loans, it's just because you're credit invisible in the system, so you're not able to access those services. So we wanted to reimagine and provide alternative solutions to that. Beautiful answers, all three of them. Thank you so much. That, that That's really cool. And it's interesting to remember, you know, how our country was founded, but as we move into cities and all have jobs that... Uh, keep us separate from from each other, um, you know, we lose that sense of community. So to see something that's recreating uh, communities is really exciting. Um, I'm also thinking that if you're building communities, um, and these are communities of people who trust each other and, and obviously trust Wovio, um, and if you have, you have tens of thousands now, and presumably you could have many more um, communities like these, you could sell a lot of other things to them and, uh, and and monetize them in other ways. Are you looking at that as well? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's our approach. Um, so our mission and vision really as a company is uh, providing financial security um, to Canadians. Uh, and then really how we're approaching it, we wanted to start with um, credit as the main point because that's what contributes to people ending up in a cycle of debt, right? Um, you have an emergency and then your options are very expensive and you can never pay that back. Uh, the second component that we're looking at is also like insurance because it's part of financial security. How can we leverage this community-based model? Because I think one thing that it helps um, is one, solving for the risk that is involved with like, hey, uh, default rates uh, involved with like uh, non-payment, um, low repayment, community-based, you're able to leverage social collateral to be able to mitigate those risks. Uh, the second component is insurance. And then really for us, the reason why we believe strongly in the community-based model is by solving the risk um, 
that is involved, whether it's in credit or insurance, you can be able to lower the cost um, offered to these individuals so that they can be able to thrive again, so that they can be able to overcome this affordability crisis that they're coming, uh, that they're experiencing here in Canada. Uh, as a newcomer, you come to Canada with uh, big dreams to be able to, you know, um, build a better life for yourself as well as kind of like you, you have responsibilities with people that you're taking care of uh, back uh, at the country of origin. And then really you're not able to even support any of them because now you're just kind of like stuck in this rate race whereby you're just paying bills and you're always like living, um, living paycheck to paycheck and not being able to realize that dream. So how can we give power back to the people to be able to realize the dream, to be able to incentivize the risk that they took from the first place in terms of moving from one country into another country and really being able to give more disposable income to people, not just towards credit, but then really kind of like in other things that can actually help improve our economy. And then at the end of the day, I think that will contribute to our productivity as a country. And then that would also contribute to kind of like our our mental health and our affordability um, as a nation. So that's just how we're approaching things. How can we use this community-based approach to be able to lower the cost of credit? And then we also want to be able to move into the insurance space. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, I don't want to make it sound like, uh, you know, innovating a business model like this is easy. So what are some of the challenges that, that you and your team have faced in building Wovio? Yeah, so our biggest challenge really has been the infrastructure. Um, I think the infrastructure, the banking infrastructure for Canadian fintechs um, is underdeveloped. I think it could be better, especially if you're looking at uh, our, 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 our other nations who are on the same level as Canada, like UK or US, right? Uh, something such as open banking framework will just make it easy for people to be able to choose uh, who they work with uh, in terms of like data sharing, in terms of like financial information sharing in a secure way. I think that ecosystem is still uh, very underdeveloped. And I think kind of like starting from policy, uh, moving uh, open banking will enable more fintechs to be able to create solutions that help um, everyday Canadians. Uh, I think that's the first component. Um, the second component for us, when you're bringing a new concept into a country or into an ecosystem, it's kind of like that educational component, um, just kind of like, okay, how does this work? How do you prove the model with the data to be able to show the impact? So that's kind of like the journey that we are on, um, just to be able to showcase the effectiveness of community-based uh, banking models and then how that can be able to reimagine and reshape the finances of, uh, of Canadians. But then really, I think the biggest problem is our infrastructure as a whole. And who's responsible for that infrastructure? Is that controlled by the banks or the government or is it just to sort of put together half-heartedly and accidentally? Yeah, no, I think it's uh, two sides. Um, so one, I think it's policy. I think policy, open banking would help us um, to be able to improve kind of like our data sharing uh, as well as kind of like the, the financial information that customers can be able to have the power of their financial information and choose who they want to work with. Uh, two is kind of like updating our payments ecosystem because like payments in Canada, we still rely on like three to five business days, EFT payments. And then really like our payment system is not real time, uh, which can be able to help um, Canadians be able to avoid things such as like NSF fees that they experience on a day-to-day -day basis that 
end up becoming more expensive. Um, so really from an infrastructure perspective is how can we have real-time payments? How can we have open banking? So fintechs and then other technology players can be able to plug in into our banking system. And I think that is a policy issue. Uh, the second thing is just kind of like with our banking partners, um, just because for them right now, if you're making a lot of profits, you don't have an incentive to be able to reimagine things. Um, so I think once that policy has been created, it creates for more competition and then the banks will be incentivized to be able to also innovate themselves, but then also partner with other fintech solutions in the markets. Right. You, you've spoken very respectfully of the <laughs> banks, our, our banking partners. Um, I, I presume they've noticed what you're doing. They've seen what you're doing. Are they helpful? Are they grudgingly respectful? Are they throwing obstacles in your way? Well, what kind of relationship do you have with the big banks? Yeah, no, with the, with, so with the five big banks, I think relationships take time because uh, they're very risk averse. So how do you get to a level of scale that uh, it de-risks the partnership from their own end? Uh, but then really for us, we have approached banking partnership by really looking at the community banking sector, which is mainly like credit unions, uh, because we feel like there's a strong alignment there. Uh, and then the reason why is uh, mainly three things. You're seeing credit unions now start to change their model from just not community to becoming federal credit unions. Um, so that's one movement that's happening within the credit union sector. But then also, two, they're at a risk, uh, I think an existential risk, whereby like their members, I think the average member within the credit union sector is anywhere between 45 to 55. So they have been they have been able to find a way to be able to attract uh, the young, the newcomer demographic coming into the ecosystem. Um, so that's something that for us, we believe that we can be able to add strong value because I think community banking provides the cheapest form of capital that most low income uh, people would need. And I think the last piece is kind of like providing that banking as a service. I think they are open to more uh, innovative ideas, new ideas, especially if it's mission aligned, whereby it's for us, it's community based. So we've always taken that approach of partnering with credit unions to be how can we be the technology player? And then for them, how can be they be like our banking um, license and then banking partnership uh, to be able to provide more services to Canadians? Very cool. And uh, I read somewhere that you spoke to a Toronto, a conference in Toronto, the 2023 Bankers Summit, a group of people who came together to try to build a new type of banking. Can you tell us about that event and and and, and what was your message to them? Yeah, so at the Banker Summit, uh, really spoke on a panel around um, new to credit. Um, so the new to credit segment focuses on the people who are entering the credit system for the first time. Um, so that includes um, newcomers to Canada as well as students, college students entering into the credit system. Um, and then really, I think the emphasis was how can we reimagine our banking ecosystem to be more innovative and more affordable for Canadians, right? In Canada, we have the highest cost of credit in the whole G7 countries. Um, so we Canadians are paying a lot for the debt that they're accumulating. And then two Canadians, we now becoming, we're very asset light and then very like we are, we are indebted um, as individuals, as a nation. So how can we be able to reimagine um, different ways that can enable that to happen? And then that was the whole essence of the conversation, reimagining banking to be able to provide more services to Canadians that are affordable and actually helps them in their journey to be able to build their world. And then there were different solutions on the market uh, from companies such as Passage, uh, which was started by Martin. Uh, the founder, it was also the founder of um, uh, another 
tech company that uh, made immigration easier for newcomers to come to Canada? Really, how can we provide financial supports to newcomers, especially to be able to solve the labor shortages that we have in Canada? We also had like Manzil, whereby they're talking about like, hey, there's a demographic of Muslim people in Canada who doesn't practice, who don't practice interest-based banking based on religion. How can you provide those services? So how can you look at different niches, understand how our demographics are changing in the country to be able to update our banking system to meet the needs of the consumers uh, within the nation? And what was your takeaway from that day at the at the Bankers Summit? Do you see that we've got a, a pretty well-functioning uh, fintech, fintech ecosystem? Is there enough innovation going on? Are they just playing at innovation, <laughs> what did you take away? Uh, no, my key takeaway is like for, for real change to happen and then for this process to be accelerated, it needs to be an ecosystem. We need to be able to um, leverage the government. We need to also be able to leverage with the banks and then kind of create the right incentive structure for everyone involved. I think that's the best way that we're going to be able to get this um, to move much faster than what it has happened um, over the past few years. So really it was like, how can we not just as a fintech exclude ourselves and just be like, hey, we are the fintech players. We actually need to, to be able to change something. We need to be able to partner. We need to be able to have these conversations. And we really need to show kind of like the data on why the system is not working for everyone. Um, so that was my key takeaway. And I think there's now starting to be interest uh, from a government perspective to be able to accelerate things. And I also think like from the banks as well as innovation, I think that is slowly starting to change. So how can we be able to bring everyone to the table to be able to help uh, accelerate that whole process and benefit the consumers? Right. Is that, a, you know, a process you'd like to be a part of or that you are a part of moving forward in enhancing the, the ecosystem itself? Yeah. Um, so it's an ecosystem that to some capacity I'm part of. Um, I'm part of the Canadian Lenders Association, uh, really whereby we're looking at uh, how can we make credit more accessible and affordable for Canadians uh, and then specific focus with the new to credit. I think one thing that happened is uh, the government of Canada recently announced that uh, they're reducing um, the maximum allowable interest rate uh, from 47% APR to 20 uh, to 35, right? So now when, when that is happening, what does that mean for the lenders within the country? Because for some people, I think there are about four to six million Canadians who are qualifying for credit between the 35 to 47%. Um, so what's, what's going to happen to those individuals? Are they going to be pushed to pay their lenders, uh, which are not regulated? Uh, uh, federally, they're regulated provincially. So what are going to happen to those individuals? So it's those conversations that we have, like what are different alternative models that can be used to be able to bridge that gap. But I think there's more to be done in terms of engaging um, not only just one sector, but then like uh, from a policy perspective with the government to be able to accelerate um, the whole transformation. Wow. Jonah, after you fix the lending business, what other sectors do you have your eye on? Um, to be honest, I haven't uh, thought about that uh, right now. <laughs> my, That's mind okay. is, <laughs> my mind, yeah, is just kind of like, yeah, uh, let's uh, let's solve this first, and then uh, for me, yeah, it's something that uh, growing up as a kid, I've always struggled with financial security. Growing up in Zimbabwe with the hyperinflation, coming to Canada uh, as an immigrant, going through the whole uh, process, being financially insecure. Um, so really, it's something that I'm really passionate about, and I wanted to contribute so that other people don't go through the same problem that I went through. So you have 10 brothers and sisters. Are they all like you? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think one thing that we have in common is uh, we are all entrepreneurial, but they are all different individuals. I think we just took kind of like that uh, entrepreneurial spirit from our parents uh, just to be able to, you know, um, solve problems and then also just uh, be able to contribute and uh, create uh, jobs for others within the market. And and have any of, of your brothers and sisters come to Canada as well? And if not, can we... <laughs> Can we get them here? <laughs> no, uh, soon. Uh, right now, yeah, not that there are different parts of the world. Some are back in Zimbabwe, some are in South Africa. Uh, but then, yeah, very soon they'll, they'll be visiting as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, show them a good time. <laughs> we need your type of entrepreneur. We need lots more of them. Uh, thank you for sharing your, your, your journey, Jonah. It's, it's very exciting to see what you're doing, and it'll be very exciting to continue to follow you as, as, as you grow the business and grow your impact. So it's an exciting place to be. Do you have any final advice for founders in the fintech space? Yeah, um, advice for founders in the fintech space. Um, I think uh, my, my biggest advice would just be uh, patience because I know like right now uh, the fintech industry as a whole uh, really like the past two years have been really tough, um, right, from uh, all the way from fundraising, if you're looking to fundraise from venture capitalists, um, all the way from like uh, partnership, uh, all the way from like revenue generating because consumers are really tight at the moment. But then really like my, my goal is just kind of like to push through. I think there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so really kind of like, yeah, innovating, innovating, innovating and being patient, understanding that this is a process because we all need each other to be able to transform uh, our ecosystem. So Sometimes it might seem easier to give up, but I think, yeah, we are almost there. So that'll be my biggest advice to fintech founders within the space. All right. We've been speaking with Jonah Chininga, the CEO and co-founder of Wovio, based in Calgary, but active uh, all around the country and uh, changing the way lending is, is happening and creating more uh, borrowing and spending capacity for people that have been traditionally ignored by the financial system. Wovio.com is where you find more information. Jonah, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, and we will definitely keep an eye on you. No worries, no. Thanks, Rick, for having me, and uh, thanks for sharing the platform. Really appreciate it. Delighted to have you. Thanks for all you're doing. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.